Welcome to another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Are you ready for the word? All right. Let's open our Bible this morning to the book of Luke. And uh, while you're finding the book of Luke, uh, I'll tell you that we're going to be talking about the focus. Today we're going to be sharing about the focus. You know Jesus is focused on people. And when we see Jesus with a crowd or with a multitude, you know, his eyes are not on the crowd. His eyes are not on the multitude necessarily, but his eyes are on the individuals. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. He knows every one of us. It's a personal thing with Jesus. And when Jesus looks at a congregation, he sees individuals. When he looks at a group, he sees individuals. When he looks at a crowd, he still sees every heart. He knows the thoughts. He knows our intents. He knows our hopes, our dreams. And he only sees the individual in every crowd. This week, I spent a good amount of time in the Bible and in prayer. You know, I I do each week. But uh, looking back on this week, you know, I read historical accounts from the Old Testament. I read through the prophets. I uh, meditated on the Psalms. You know, I, I gleaned some wisdom from the Proverbs as, 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 as I do each day. And I enjoyed going through the stories of the Gospels. I went back through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, just, uh, you know, just, uh, just refreshing myself. I hope you do this thing. I know you do. It's the first thing I reach for in the morning. You know, it's the first thing I do and has been for years. I reach for the Word of God. It's the first thing I do every morning. I've made a habit. I've made a commitment. And I'm a little guilt-driven. So once I make a commitment, it kind of speaks to me, you know. It kind of keeps me motivated. It works for me, okay? I'm, don't, don't try to get my guilt off me. It's working for me, all right? Uh, I, I, I'll call it guilt, but it is this, this commitment, this voice of commitment. You know, you can experience this as well. Don't be afraid of commitments, okay? You can experience this in your life. If you tell someone that you will see them at 1230 at, at, at a restaurant tomorrow, most likely it's going to speak to you, you know, between now and then, hopefully. And it will speak to you maybe at 30 minutes earlier. And you will be there and you probably would not have been there had you not made a commitment. Commitments take us places we would not have gone otherwise. Commitments help us. They, they, they encourage us. And every now and then we may fail to keep a commitment. Every now and then we might forget. Every now and then we might choose to do something different. You know, but commitments are designed by God to work in our minds and work in our lives. And, and it helps us, you know, just making a commitment to Jesus Christ. In fact, in your workplace, if you would let someone in your workplace know that you have made a commitment to Jesus. If you would let your family know that. Do you know that works for you, not against you? Uh, people will begin to to uh, uh, treat you a little differently, you know, uh, uh, in, in our 
culture and custom, they won't treat you badly. Now, perhaps in some of you who are watching this morning, uh, maybe in your culture or your custom, they might treat you worse. But nonetheless, it is a witness that we put forth to let people know that we have made a commitment in our life, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And we excuse ourselves from, from some activities. We excuse ourselves from some conversations uh, to not participate, not because we're judgmental and critical, but simply because we want to have a light shining in our life, because we want to be the person who later someone will come and ask, how do you do that? How do you make that commitment? Why, what makes you live the way that you live? And, and, and with our testimony, we can help them to make decisions and commitments in their life. Uh, it, it, it works for us. And several times, you know, during the last few days, as usual, I felt the Holy Spirit inspire me because I had read something, you know, in the Word, or because during my time of prayer, I had voiced something to God. And then I, I, I felt several times the Holy Spirit little nudge me to go ahead, do this, say this, you know, uh, um, um, you know uh, make this decision simply because of something I had read or something I prayed. You know, God prepares us for the things that we need. Uh, he prepares us before we need it. It's just like so many of you. You know, uh, I know that many of you are focused on others. What you do, you do for others. You know, you do for your family, you do for your friends, you do for your students, you do for your co-workers, you do for people here in our community or people around the world. So many of you do what you do, uh, you know, a uh, um, a majority of what you do is focused on others. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's a good thing. But it's also good at the end of the week, having been focused on others and having been working for others and helping others and thinking about others. It's good to end the week with a little reserve, you know, with a little strength. With a little hope left, with a little joy left, you know. Have you ever got to the end of your week and you had nothing left? Yeah, some weeks are like that because some weeks demand more uh, from the bank than we put in the bank, you know. But uh, most of the weeks, if we will do our due diligence, if we will be people that actually go to the Word each day, we pray each day, we will be people who will end the day with a little reserve, You'll, 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 you'll go to bed at night with, with, uh, you know, with your stomach full, hopefully, and a little more in the refrigerator. You know? uh, you'll, you'll end the month, hopefully, it, because it's better to live with a margin, by the way. It's always better to live with a margin. Uh, you'll, you'll end up you know, getting to the end of the month and having a little money left. Wouldn't that be great? It's like getting to the top of the stairs and having a little breath left. If every day you climb stairs and the last stair you climb is the last stair you could climb, you need to exercise more or find another place to work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so living life with a little reserve, with a little energy, with a little extra God. I'm so glad that I end most weeks, I end most days with a little more God than I needed that day with a little more of the word than I needed that day, a little more of the joy, a little more of the peace, you know, that I'm not just pouring myself into bed saying, Dad, gum it, I'm glad this day's over, you know, and not wanting to wake up the next day. And I, I, I promise you, spending time in the word and prayer before you need it is a lifesaver, okay? Spending time in the word and in prayer before you need it 
is a lifesaver. While preparing for today's message, I began, as I normally do, by asking God. You know, uh, yesterday I, I, I sat down, as I normally do, and just reconfirmed things with God. And here's what I say to God almost every time. I'm, 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 I'm fairly predictable, uh, and God is probably waiting on it. I say, God, what would you like to say to your people? What would you, Lord, want to say tomorrow you can say and i tell him this out loud it's an out loud thing if you listen into my room you'll hear me saying this to god god you can say anything you want to and you don't have to say it through me lord what do you want to say how can i serve you as i stand in front of the congregation what do you want to say god and and after more than 43 years of me preaching virtually every sunday and every wednesday and multiple times during the week after more than 43 years of that for me it has never gotten boring or dull or routine on this side of the pulpit okay it hasn't for me i've I've, I've never gotten bored or dulled, uh, you know, it's never been dull, or, and, and, and it's never just been routine what I do. And, and, and uh, you know, it has evidently gotten boring and dull to some others because they're going to other churches today. But, oh, come on, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> don't, don't help me through this delusion. I am having fun. Okay, but um, at any rate, I want you to know I thoroughly enjoy what I do. It gives life. It gives strength. It gives encouragement. And I get to, I get to like pick fresh fruit, you know, off of, of, of this vine that God has given. And, and it's always fresh to me. And, and <clears throat> you know, and, and I want to serve it fresh for you. And so, uh, you know, I, I find it intriguing, uh, you know, that God continues to inspire me with things that, that, that I didn't know, things I haven't seen. I know that means that God is real smart and I'm not because after 43 years of reading the same book, I keep seeing it in different things in the same passages. I see something different and that's, that's my goodness. Uh, you know, uh, you might be surprised, you know, uh, uh, how much your pastor really does depend on God for these moments. Moments of me standing here. Sure, I understand that, that uh, you know, one day I'm going to have to stand in heaven and give an account for what I've said because this might be someone's only opportunity to hear the gospel. The Bible says that, you know, I have to stand and give an account of the soul's that God has brought before me. Uh, that, that's been a little scary through the years. But so far, it's not been dull. It's not been boring. It's not been, you know, a hardship. It's, it's been an excitement. It's almost like, oh, wow, I already know that I'm going to pass the test because I'm going to do what God wants. And so it's like, oh, great, yeah, give me the test. You know, uh, okay, put it on, you know. I mean, all you have to do to pass any test is just two things. It only takes two things to pass any test in life, whether it's a marriage test or a money test, if it's a God test or a devil test. The only things you need, two things to pass every test. Number one is to know the right answer. And number two is to apply that answer. I've been telling you that for years. You can know the right answer and not apply it and fail the test. And not knowing the right answer, oh my goodness, you are left to, you know, there are a million wrong answers. To know the right answer, 
we have the answer book. And the Holy Spirit who watched over and inspired all of this lives on the inside of us. And he's the teacher. And so he knows exactly what he meant. And then all we're left to do then, you know, we find the answer. And then we're only left to apply it. Boom, success. Yeah. Success can only be calculated by God. It's not, oh, you know, I got that promotion. I'm successful. No. Only God knows the outcome. Because only God knows what he has required of you. You see, Noah preached for 120 years. We don't see one convert. Was Noah successful? Yes, he was. Why? Because he did what God told him to do. God's responsible for the outcome. You know, so, you know, uh, I, I know that truly without God, I can do nothing. That's, that's what John 15, 5 says. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. But I also know the scripture on the reverse side of that, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> so without him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things with him, through him, because of him. You know, this is the way you are. Without God, you can do nothing. But with him, you can do all things. I felt the Holy Spirit this week leading me to read about Jesus multiplying the fish and loaves. Uh, And, you know, he fed 5,000 men besides the women and the children. This particular miracle of feeding of the the 5,000 is rare in that it is found in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Isn't that interesting? So this week, in, in preparation for what I would be giving out this week, I went back and went and reviewed all four of those, you know, uh, and from all the perspectives of, 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 you know, evidently Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John felt it very important what Jesus was doing because each one of them sought to include that account in the limited space and time they had to write in the gospel assigned to them by the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, I, I know that site very well. The Bible says it was on a hillside belonging to Bethsaida. Some of you, in fact, in two weeks, some of you are going to be going with me. And, you know, that's not a site that many tour groups visit, but it's a site I'm going to take you to. Because you can stand there and see where Jesus fed the 5,000 right there on the bank of the Jordan River at the uh, northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, just outside the town of Bethsaida on that hill. We'll be looking at it there and talking over. But one of the pictures we get from that is how Jesus, he fed a multitude. But to him... He was reaching everyone individually. That person was hungry. That person was hungry. That person was hungry. And Jesus knew it was only one meal. Okay? Jesus knew it's just one meal in the life of somebody in a crowd. A crowd of people. Can you imagine 5,000 men besides the women and children? So let's just imagine 15,000 hungry people one day out of their life, one meal out of their day. 
Do you think they got hungry tomorrow? Yes. Some of them wanted more food before they went to bed that night. Do you think some of those people that Jesus fed that day, you know, left there that day with their belly full but didn't really get much else? Sure. Out of those 15,000 people, Jesus cared enough. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all cared enough to show us how much Jesus cares about one person and that one meal that that one person is going to eat knowing that it's not going to meet their needs for the next week. It's not going to meet their needs for the next month. It's not going to meet their needs for the next year. Jesus shows us how to focus on people who have a need. Sometimes people don't reach out to meet the need because they think, well, they're just going to be wanting more tomorrow. Yeah, they are. But they're hungry today. They're just going to need another drink tomorrow. Yes, but they're thirsty today. They're just going to have to pay, you know, that, you know, next month. Yes, but they're hurting today. And the today is so important to Jesus. Today. You know, yesterday we fed hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, let me give you an idea. We helped to feed in Port Arthur, through our food bank, and in the ministries that we provide around the world. You know, other people work. You, through your money, and some of you, through your work, you help to provide 2,000 meals every day in India. That's times 365. How much is that? How many meals is that? Uh, 730,000 meals. And then you totally underwrite all the meals that we feed at Giotto, let's see, that's, you know, let's just call it 700 a week plus 50 a day. 50 a day times three, uh, you know, that's in our school. And um, plus 700 a week, that's conservative. And then the ones we do in El Bergen. Uh, at the food bank, families, we don't just feed families. We feed families for a week. Joe and Beth give out 65-pound boxes of food. 70-pound boxes? What is it, Joe? 70 pounds to about 60, 65 families, something like that. It fluctuates sometimes, uh, you know, 25, sometimes 50 each week, how many in a family? No, no, no. Okay. I'm just going to throw it out here. You guys feed a half a million meals a, a year. Yeah. Now look around you. A half a million? Yeah. And that's not the ones you're eating. That's the ones you are giving to others on purpose. Greater things shall you do. 
I can probably count the number of people Jesus fed, and it doesn't, doesn't come to how many you feed in a year, not even close. And every one of those is an individual. Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto the least one. Inasmuch as you did it unto the least one, you did it unto Jesus. He takes it personally. He personally looks. He cares about that one small passing need. Whether it's a need for prayer that you stop and pray for someone. If it's a need for encouragement. If it's, you know, whatever, uh, visiting someone who is sick. You're doing it to him. You want to do something for Jesus? You know, stop by the emergency room occasionally. You may want to wear a mask. And just sit down beside someone and say, How are you doing? You don't even have to say, Can I pray for you? How are you doing? Most likely they'll be happy to unburden themselves. You know, you don't have to pray in front of them, go somewhere else and pray for them. Or you can say, let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? You know, Visiting the sick is a part of the ministry that we do. Focusing. And you might walk up to the hospital and go, oh my goodness, there's so many people in here. Yes, but every one of them is an individual. Everyone's an individual. Well, at any rate, the story behind the story of Jesus doing all these things is that Jesus had a goal. Jesus wanted to make sure that he left people better than he found them. That was his goal. He just wanted to make sure that when he walked away from someone, that it was better for them in some way. It encouraged them in some way. Well, in reading through the Gospels, I decided that what I wanted to do was to imagine. I want to imagine... What would Jesus do if he walked through that door right now in person in his bodily form? What would Jesus do if when he walked in there, I said, hey, Jesus, I'm hoping we would recognize him. You know, I mean, we've seen enough pictures. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Which Jesus would he be? No. Uh, hopefully we would recognize him because he carries an authority and an anointing like like no one else. He would probably glow a little bit, but let's take the glow off. And let's just imagine that we should be able to feel his presence if he's, in, if he's where we are, right? We should be able to feel him. We should be able to know it. And if he walked into that door right now, I'm hoping that I would say, hey, Jesus, um, come on up and, 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 and take the platform, you know, and take the microphone, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd go sit down, and I would want to hear what he had to say. Wouldn't you want to hear what he had to say? Now, I'm not talking about him coming and getting us and snatching us all away here. I'm talking about if he came in here in a legit way, and, and I would hope that we'd recognize him. I'd hope that he'd come up here and take the platform, you know. I'd hope he wouldn't be saying, no, I'm coming to get your candlestick, you know. <laughs> Those of you who read the book of Revelation, you know, wouldn't want that to happen. Uh, Pastor Ken preached on that this morning. Uh, hopefully, he would have, you know, don't you wonder what he would say? Oh, what do you think he would say? 
Well, I don't think we have to wonder too much what he would say. Because he's given us an example of that. That's why we're in Luke chapter 4. You thought I forgot, I bet. That's why we're in Luke chapter 4. It's because that's exactly what Jesus did. Not just in one place, but in many places. And almost everywhere he went, if you'll read through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he walked into a synagogue, into the temple, into a place, they would ask him, oh, listen, you want to come? And later they would say, man, this is a man who spoke with authority, not as one of the scribes. I mean, he did it when he was 12 years old, when he went into the, to, to the, to the house of God at 12 years old. He was given the stage. And the, and, and the scribes and the scholars and, the, and, and you know, uh, they, they, the, the priest, they sat down and listened to what he had to say, although he was just 12 years old. I mean, I think this has happened over and over and over over again and here in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke this is just after Jesus has been water baptized in the Jordan River by John the dove descended upon him if you are familiar with those accounts and then Jesus goes out into the Judean wilderness he's tempted by the devil to turn stone into bread and to, and, and to you know throw himself off of the pinnacle of the temple and to, and to uh, you know bow down and worship the devil and and he defeats the temptation of the devil. And the Bible says the devil departs from Jesus waiting for a more opportune time to come and tempt him again. And so Jesus then walks back up to the Galilee. And when Jesus gets up to the Galilee, the first thing he does is he starts going into what we'll call churches, synagogues. And he goes to his hometown where he was raised. Let's read about it. Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The news of him went out through all the surrounding region. He taught in their synagogues and he, being glorified by all. Now, this basically is a picture of Jesus going to city after city, walking into their church, being recognized, and him being asked to teach. Verse 16. Now, it, it, it seems he spoke wherever he went, okay? He, he must have been a pretty good preacher. So, uh, verse 16. So, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, there, there's an invitation there that's, that's implied. He went into the, the, um, the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What does that mean in our terms? That means he went to church on Sunday. There he went to synagogue on Saturday. In today's time, as was his custom. I love that. Jesus had a custom. Wherever, whatever city he was in, whatever town he's in, he went to church on Sunday. He went to synagogue on Saturday. But y'all get the picture, right? Yeah. And so, uh, and again, he's invited to speak. And he was, uh, uh, he was uh, given the book of Isaiah. And they said, well, you know, this, get your text from the book of Isaiah. So we know that he was welcomed because he was given a, one of the prophets and told, you know, uh, teach us from here. Verse 17, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, I love this. If Jesus walked in today, let me tell you what we could expect from him. 
If Jesus walked in here today and came and took the pulpit, from all that we know, we would say, come on, Jesus, and teach us. You know, and, and I would hand him the Bible and I'd go sit down and he would open up the Bible to a place that he felt like was the message for the day. Okay. He's no more the son of God today than he was then. He's no more the word of God today than he was then. And this is what he would do. He would read scripture and then he would tell you what it meant. That's what he did. Isn't that interesting? Oh, it's, it's more, it, it was more amazing to me. You know, maybe things are dull to other people that are exciting to me. I don't know. But I am excited to realize that here we are carrying on a Jesus tradition of opening up the Bible and reading the Scripture and then expounding on it. And then, if you read on down in the account, he continues to use more stories from the Bible to confirm the truth that he is trying to get people to believe. And uh, You know, uh, uh, I, I really believe this morning that... Uh, he would preach the same message. He's the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. So what was his message? Well, you can break it up in different ways. But verse 18, this is what he read. This is the ver- these are the verses he read in Isaiah that are being requoted here in Luke. Jesus opened up the Bible and he read this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, that means that I am called and appointed. This is what God expects from me. The Spirit of God is on me, and he has called me, and he has given me the ability and the grace, the anointing. He has given me not only the calling and the anointing, but the responsibility. I am the one that God has chosen to tell you to preach the gospel to the poor. So all of you who are poor among, all of you who are poor this morning, here's what you would hear. Good news. Good. What's good news to a poor person? You don't have to be poor no more. That's a pretty good news, isn't it? Amen. Yeah, that's pretty good. The gospel. The good news, those of you who, who aren't born again, you can be. You can become a child of God. You can become a child of the king today. I've got good news for all of you. Jesus loves the poor. I've got good news. That's what he would be preaching. He would let us know how much he cares about the poor and how the gospel of Jesus Christ is to go out into all the world and reach those who are poor, poor in spirit and poor in life. You see, because Jesus cares about everyone. His focus is on the individual, not on the crowd. He knew who he was speaking to. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That would be a part of his message. He would say, listen, if you have come here today and you are heavy and you are, you are burdened down and, you know, come unto me all you who are weary and, and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly at heart. That's what he would be saying. He would be saying, if your heart's broken... I'm here to heal it. If you're poor, I'm here to share some good news with you. You are a child of the king. You have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that God is protecting in heaven for you. Wow. That would be his message. He would continue. Uh, I'm anointed. God has told me, Jesus would say, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives? Are you in bondage? Are you in some addiction? Are you in some chain of life? Are you worried and burdened down? Are you, are, are, are you, you know, what is it in your life that has you in prison? Guess what? Jesus would say, go free. I'm here to set you free. Man, come unto me and I will set you free. Wow. I think he'd be preaching it better than I would. But then again, they kicked him out of this church. He would say, I've also been anointed to make sure that you know that the blind can see in me. Those things that you've been unable to discern, you can discern. Recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Have you been wrestling with oppression, depression, worry, fear, anxieties, panic attacks? Listen, Jesus has come to set the oppressed free. There's hope. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's hope for you. Don't let life tell you there's no hope. If your heart's broken, don't let life tell you that it's never going to get any better. You know, if you feel that you're in bondage and chains, don't let life try to fool you into believing that that's the best it's ever going to get. It's not. Because he came, he said in verse 19, I came to proclaim, to preach, to tell you about a year of jubilee about the acceptable year of the Lord. I am here to tell you that there is a day coming in which every person shall be not only set free, not only recovered from blindness and broken hearts healed, uh, but I'm here to tell you that there is a day coming, a year, a day of jubilee that will so overwhelm you. It will restore everything that the devil has ever robbed from you. It will set you free. The acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Why did he sit down? Because, hey, look, that's the message. That's it. That's all I got. And if you read it, that's pretty much what I've been saying over and over and over for 43 years. 35 of them here. There's hope in Jesus Christ. You can do this. You know, God has a wonderful day coming, but let me tell you, today he sees you. And if you are hungry today, if you are sad today, if you're brokenhearted today, if today you need him, he is here today for you. Your today means so much to him. Because in verse 21 he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? He's saying that when he walked into Nazareth, into that church, the same thing he had said, no doubt, in all the other synagogues. And he continued to say, today is your day. Today is your day. We know this had a, a much greater prophetic fulfillment, but it also has an individual focus in that today is your day. Today is always your day. Today, the message of Jesus Christ has been fulfilled 
And you can reach out and embrace it today. Today's your day. So I'll leave us with this. Jesus sees you in the crowd. In the crowd of humanity that will pray today, he sees you. He sees each one as an individual. He sees the great need our nation has. He sees the great turmoil this generation faces. But in looking at that, he sees you. He sees if you're hungry. He sees if you're tired. He sees if you're weary. He sees if you're oppressed. And today, if he walked into your life, he would simply say, I am the answer. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am the one chosen to meet your need. And today is your day. He was hoping for a different response from them. You see, they didn't believe it because Jesus was too familiar to them. Pastor Ken told us about you know, 1,500 Russians are the estimate in, in a theater or a stadium or somewhere there who were hungry. Jesus was new to them by and large. They came in droves. Don't let Jesus get so familiar that you think he has nothing for you. That's what he said. If you keep reading, he said the prophet is, is without honor in his own country and among his own people. The people most familiar with Jesus are often the ones that don't imagine he can do anything. I've known him for 40 years. There's no reason to me asking him to get rid of this cancer. Yes, there is. He sees you as an individual. And if he was fresh and brand new in your life, I bet you'd ask him. If he was fresh and brand new in your life, I bet you would think he could do anything. He went to other places and he said, oh, as he stood at Bethsaida, he said, oh my goodness, woe unto you, Bethsaida. You'll see it's nothing but a pile of rocks. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. If the miracles had have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon that are done here, they would have repented in ashcloth. Ashes, sackcloth and ashes. Jesus is a miracle worker. He just wants to leave you better than he found you. And he can. He's anointed to do that. He has a promise for you today that if you will come to him, you'll give him a chance. If you'll invite him into your life, if you'll invite him into your marriage, if you'll invite him into your job, into your school, into your finances. You know, our school children are going back to school last week, this week, next week. Listen, we need to pray for them, but we need to encourage them. Take Jesus with you. Invite Jesus into the school. Teachers, invite Jesus into your classroom. Maybe you've been born again for 50 years. <laughs> Listen, he's the same Jesus as he was the first day you met him. He can do anything. He's anointed to bring peace. He's anointed to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed to meet the needs that you'll face this year. Supervisors at the plants, invite Jesus. Invite Jesus into your, you know, you don't have to, you know, make it an out loud spooky thing, you know. Don't be weird. But get there five minutes early and invite Jesus. 
to watch over your team and your work and your equipment. He can do anything. He's anointed to meet needs and he sees you. Let me pray for you right now. Open up your heart for just a moment. Let's pray. Invite Jesus into your heart while we're praying, into your marriage, into your money, into your tomorrow. Invite Jesus. He cares about every aspect of your life. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you see me and not just the crowd, not just all of suffering humanity. You see each individual. You care for us, Lord, in our moments when we are hungry, when, Lord, we are tired, when we, Lord, are afraid. Lord, heaven rejoices with us, God, whenever we turn our lives to you. Father, you see us in our good days, Lord, in our great days, Lord, in those that are challenging. And, Lord, you're with us every step of the way. Lord, we know that when we invite Jesus into our life, when we give him the microphone in our head, Lord, that he's going to tell us he can do something about this. We're never going to hear from Jesus, I don't know what to do. We will never hear, I can't fix that. We'll never hear, sorry, talk to somebody else. Thank you, God, for a Savior that can handle anything I give him. Lord, give us all the good sense to give our lives to him. Jesus, come into our hearts, our lives, into our daily needs. Jesus, you're invited in. We believe in you, Jesus. And we know that you are just as anointed today as you were 2,000 years ago. Lord, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Use us. Hear our prayers. Lord, help us to end our day with with more word than we needed that day, with more God energy, with more joy, with more excitement, more hope than we needed that day. Lord, help us, God, to end each day with more faith in you. God, send us to your word. Help us to draw close to you as we find you in prayer so we too might have a goal this week of leaving things better than we found them. Lord, thank you. May we ever be mindful that you see us. And what we do for every individual makes a difference. We ask these things, sir. We thank you for salvation and we thank you for help. It's in Jesus' name we pray, sir. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to all of our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.